0: Hey friends, welcome to the Publish, Promote, Profit podcast. I'm Rob Kosberg, and every week I show you how to use a best-selling book to grow your income and your impact. And if you're interested in having your own best-selling book, I recorded a short video explaining our trademark process at beginmybook.com. All right. Hey, welcome, everybody. It's Rob Kosberg. Excited to have a great guest for our Publish, Promote, Profit podcast. I have Mark Hirschberg with us today. Mark is the author of The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. Uh, Mark has a diverse background He's a CTO now But he used to track career criminals and terrorists on the dark web Created marketplaces and new authentication systems He spent a career launching and developing new ventures at startups, Fortune 500s, and academia Mark's been at some of the best uh, institutions in the world At MIT, uh, Mark has his BS in uh, physics, uh, electrical engineering, and computer science And a master's of engineering Engineering, electrical engineering, and computer science as well. Uh, the cryptography thing is very interesting to me as as well, since I am a, a uh, cryptocurrency fan and have been for a long time. So at Harvard, Mark created helped create a platform used to teach uh, financial education uh, to uh, prominent business schools as well. So quite a uh, diverse background, Mark. And after all of that, you wind up here on the Publish Promote Profit podcast. What went wrong? Oh, <laughs> just
1: kidding. <laughs> Good question. Everything went right and it went right twice because as I was on my career to become a CTO, I realized there were all these skills I needed that I didn't have. Leadership, right. network, negotiating. As I developed them in myself, I also wanted to develop them in my team. And as I was doing this, MIT wanted to do something similar. They recognized these are the skills companies are saying they want in everyone. Right and they were putting together a program to do it. So I just reached out and said, can I help? I yeah. developed some material, and I thought I'd spend maybe an afternoon going over what I had created, and that would be it. But that led to my helping to create the class and then teaching there for 20 years. And during the 20-some years I've been teaching, I said, we really need to get this content out to more people. I kept saying, yes, yes, but we don't have time. Even though MIT piloted online courseware, For various reasons, our program didn't have those resources. So I thought, I'm just going to write up some notes. And while I was traveling a lot in 2019, I thought, I'm going to type up some notes, share it with our students. It's a hands-on class. They don't take a lot of notes. And we can share it online. And 20 pages became 40, became 80. And pretty soon I said, this is a book. Yeah, yeah. So it was all completely unintentional. I have my day job as a CTO, but then I had the teaching on the side and the teaching led me here. Love
0: it. Love it. You know, you're interesting in regards to, you know, your book isn't about starting a. A new business, or a consulting, or coaching practice, uh, and we'll get into that uh, a little bit more detail. But we talked about that just in the beginning. But obviously, your book is, in one sense, has made a difference in your own life because you had to, as you said, apply these skills, learn these skills. Who is the book primarily for? Um, I, I read uh, some of the book. I read the reviews. You know, is it like targeted at a, a specific genre of people of the marketplace?
1: It is for white-collar workers. Primarily, I say it's 20 to 40, but we've had people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, anyone who says, I need to get better at networking, leading, negotiating, communicating. Lots of entrepreneurs as well find this book valuable. So it's pretty broad. The problem is when I say that, people go, oh, when when you say it's too broad, no no one believes you, no one likes it. But I I still believe that's the case. So I narrowed it a little: white collar workers, twenty to forty.
0: Well, that does narrow it some. Um, you know, I, I read also some that it, you know, there is a, a good bit of focus for you know the newer workers in the information age because there is a, you know, there is kind of a stark contrast in the skills that are needed in today's marketplace than than just even maybe fifteen years or twenty years ago. The skills are different. Add to that the pandemic and the fact that more and more people are working from home and and so the environment is different you know it i guess it reveals very very quickly like the faults in the system would would you like would you say that this book helps with that kind of thing
1: so i would say you're on the right track but these skills are fundamental whether you go back 10 20 30 40 years or into the future the same amount these skills all matter yeah now the lack of having these skills could be hidden much more easily, let's say, in 1992 than today, especially during a pandemic when we're remote. So communication, for example, it's so much more important that we communicate effectively when we're on Zoom because we lose some of the bandwidth. We lose that body language and interaction, other parts that we just get when I'm standing at your desk and we can get a better sense of each other. So I think the current circumstances and the acceleration of the world as a whole as you point out have just laid bare the importance of these skills, but they've been important and will continue to be, even if we go back to working like we did in 1992.
0: Yeah, yeah, good, good. Okay, so we have a good foundation of you know who the book is for, what what somebody can expect to learn and and get from the book. Obviously, if somebody has been in their career in a little while but they're stuck in a in a spot that they're not happy, then. This can certainly be useful to them, obviously if they're young if they're in college or just moving out of college into the career this could be very very important to them because it's not enough just to have your master's in engineering in electrical engineering uh, you know if you want to move up to CTO, you have to have some of these skills as well as you learned and, and have shown us so so let's talk about some of the interesting things though cryptography so was there any or is there a great interest? Uh, when it comes to like your day-to-day world and life in what you're seeing with blockchain is that something that you were looking at even 10 20 years ago prior to
1: like what we're seeing today well certainly i became aware of blockchain i want to say around 2010 because on some cryptographer list so i am a cryptographer we create secret codes we yeah. protect your data the reason you can put your credit card online and feel safe. Right. And on some of our mailing lists, we were talking about this thing called Bitcoin. Yeah. Back around 2010, when it was trading for a handful of cents. I remember thinking, oh, maybe I should just buy some just, <laughs> just unprintable. <a> case. <laughs> not even just, I never thought it would go anywhere. I right. still don't yeah. think it will go anywhere. But I thought, oh, yeah, just fun to have. Like, oh, I've got some cryptocurrency. Now, because I spent a year at Harvard Business School working with some finance professors, that was a great experience. I always point out, Harvard paid me to learn finance. So many people go there every year, they pay money to take finance classes. I sat three feet for a finance professor who was giving me personal tutoring during the year. That was part of my compensation, unofficially. That's part of why I took the job. And I understood markets and finance and got really a great education And knowing that, I see, I look at cryptocurrency and say, there's no underlying value or revenue stream, so I just can't get behind buying into it. Gotcha.
0: Is that what you know? You said something very interesting. I mean, you said you don't think Bitcoin is going anywhere. Uh, I know this is a Bitcoin podcast, and I'm not trying to evangelize, but but it's already a, a, you know practically a one trillion dollar asset. So to say it's not going anywhere, and it's always already a trillion dollar market cap is like whoa. I mean, it's you know it it doesn't seem like it's uh, going anywhere from the standpoint of going to zero.
1: How are those tulip bulbs working out for you?
0: <laughs> you know the tulip bulbs came and they went. <laughs> this uh, exactly. Th- this is a little Never. different.
1: No, we're just <laughs> arguing over time frame. Ah, okay. Right? So you, that's, you think that's my argument?
0: So you think, from a time frame perspective, that eventually it's going to be nothing more than those that are selling it are those that are interested in selling it for a higher price than than they bought
1: it for, and it's a greater the greater fool theory. I think it's a greater fool theory. Now, for the record, I also don't understand gold. I get why historically people chose gold, and that's why it's retained some value today. It may be that Bitcoin, you get enough people in it. It just inherently has enough people who all will prop it up and say, no, no, there's real value like we do with gold. Yeah, But I'm just... I'm not buying it. Gotcha. Literally and figuratively.
0: (laughs) Understand. I just wanted to, not that you wrote a Bitcoin book and are a Bitcoin expert, but I thought, what the heck, cryptography? Sounded interesting. Let's at least go a little bit of ways down that rabbit hole. So
1: I get that often.
0: (laughs) So tell me, what would you say, going back to your your book and um, the subject at hand, what's some of the biggest mistakes that uh, you cover in the book, but that you see people make and let's, let's talk more younger people. Let's talk people getting out of college and entering the workforce. What are some of the biggest mistakes that they make that, that you see and that you try to correct in the career toolkit? There
1: are 10 skills in the book. And these are skills you've all heard about, and yet we screw them up. So one, a career plan. Most people don't even have one. or The career plan is, well, I hope maybe I'll be a VP in X number of years. And that's yeah. it. That's the extent of their plan. Right. We know you'd never do a big project at work without having a plan. You'd never undertake a book without having yeah. your plan, right? What's your book proposal plan? Who are you going to market to? What's your timeline? How are you going to do all this? If someone came to say, I don't want to bother with that, you'd say, no, yeah. your, your chances of success are slim to none. Yeah. And yet we yeah. say five years, 10 years from now, here's where I hope to be, but I'm not going to bother with a plan. So that's a common kind of mistake thinking, We can't create a plan because it's too big, too long-term, or that we're okay without having one. With networking, the idea is, oh, I'm connected to all these people on LinkedIn, and therefore, great, I'm well-networked. Right. And there's a line in my book that actually came to me on a date, and I forget how we got on this on a date, but the the line I came up with, I made sure I put in the book, saying that you're connected to someone on LinkedIn and that person's in your network, that's like saying you swipe right on Tinder and this person's now your significant other right we say it's totally insane for tinder but on linkedin no we think that's rational yeah the yeah, yeah, so yeah. people when it comes to networking thing i just add people or i collect business cards and i have a network they don't understand the relationship part of it hmm. leading so many people think leading is commanding and telling you what to do and that's authoritative leadership but not real positional leadership which people don't understand until much later in their career hmm. So each of the chapters, and really the way I wrote the book is each chapter has a mental shift, changing how you look at that particular skill, followed by here are actionable things you can do to better execute on it.
0: Love that. Love that. You know, I'm thinking of my kids. I have I have uh, three boys. Uh, my youngest is 21. My oldest just turned 30. And uh, uh, one has an advanced degree in math and works for NASA. But uh, we've talked more probably recently about his career path because, as you might imagine, NASA gives um, a great sense of purpose and that he's doing something great with his life. But his friends are making four or five times the amount of money that he's making at Google and Facebook. And uh, so there is that sense of, yeah, I want to make more money, but I'm never going to make more money, you know, here so I, I am absolutely going to buy books, your book, for all three of my kids. One thing you just said that I thought was really intriguing was the networking part. Can you talk to me a little bit about, you know, just some practicals around the networking? So, you know, I mean, I, I don't even know if they use LinkedIn as an example. I, I certainly know that my middle son does and is is networked within where he works, but like, what are some practicals for them to network, to keep those relationships or build those relationships that
1: uh, they're going to need in two years, five years, 10 years, et cetera? I'd start with, here's a mentality that you need to teach them, which is focus on the relationship. Too many people think of networking as, oh, I need a job. Okay, I'm going to go network and find a job. That's like saying, I have to go move this weekend. Let I me mean, go out to bars, meet a couple guys. Hey, great to meet you. Let me buy you a beer. Yeah. Good chatting with you. Listen, can you come over this weekend? Help me move? <laughs> yeah, I don't that's think so. <laughs> what we're, that's right, right. You're meeting strangers and saying, I need. <clears throat> right. Now, if we've known each other for 20 years, I could say, hey, listen, man, I need a favor. Can you come over? And you'll say, Yeah, of course, Mark. Happy to help. So same thing. We need to build that relationship before we take. And the best way to build a relationship is to give is to offer, is to meet and chat and, hey, how can I help you? So more than any action, I I do have specific actions in the book, but the actions don't matter unless you get that mentality of nice to meet you. I want to build a long-term relationship with you. Yeah, How can I be helpful to you?
0: Love that. Love it. Beautiful. And I love that, first of all. But from a practical standpoint, any tips within the book about... How to actually go about the, the networking itself Like, you, I mean, to get a date these days You do have Tinder I guess, uh, maybe I just answered my question So is it, is it something like using social tools like LinkedIn And letting those be the beginning of these relationships Or is there something that's more like uh, face-to-face Belly-to-belly, so to speak That Or
1: maybe both What, what does that look like? I personally don't like to do the initial outreach on LinkedIn going, hey, let's connect. But if you do, that's fine. But you have to keep in mind, like Tinder, you can't just say we both swipe right, done. Yeah. Say that's the start. What's the next thing you do on Tinder? You meet up in real life for a date. Yeah. That's what you have to do when building your business relationships. So I go to real world events when there's not a global pandemic (laughs) and I meet people. Yeah. And I get to know them, I talk to them, and I follow up. I follow up with emails or phone calls, or we get together again. Not with everyone equally, just like I don't click with everyone on Tinder. Right. You don't click with everyone, but go out and meet people. Put yourself out there and get to know people. And in fact, I'll say podcasting is a great way to do that. Now, you meet all sorts of interesting people when you do this podcast. true. As an author, I've been going on podcasts, and I've met all sorts of fascinating people. Hmm. And if you haven't done a podcast, what you might not know is that we usually chat before or after the episode, and we talk, and we get to know each other, and we start building relationships. Yeah. Going on podcasts, that's a great way to meet someone. Hmm. Very cool.
0: You wouldn't I mean that actually surprises me. I mean, I understand that for someone like yourself who is an author an instructor at MIT, et cetera. But what about, you know, somebody that's in a middle management type? How how would that or is that just not applicable to them?
1: So it totally is. First, we okay. all have some story to tell hmm. if we can just figure out what it is and how to tell it. Yeah. It might be writing a book, it might be going on podcasts, it might be doing talks. You just have to figure out that story and how to make it compelling. But yeah. all of us have that. Yeah. But even if you don't want to do it, you say, I'm not the type of person to go put my story out there. Fine. Get out, get out of your house, get out of your office yeah. and go to an industry event. Every geographic community has groups for their industry. Other people in that field, get to know them or do other work, unrelated one of the best things I do to expand my network, I was a competitive ballroom dancer throughout my 20s. I saw that. I, Very interesting. I was on the dance circuit. I'd go out to competitions. The ballroom world, it's not that big. We all tend to know each other. I see the same people over and over, and you build up friendships. So it could be a hobby. It could be going to your local church. It could be a nonprofit you do. But do something. And as you get out, go do things. The one thing I don't do, I never show up to something that is purely a networking event, where the whole point is just to go to network. It feels artificial and uh, people have dragged me to a few and it's always like, okay, hey, how can I make money off of you? And now maybe I'll let you make money off of me. But when you go to do your nonprofit work, when you go to do your hobby, when you go to do something you enjoy, listen to a talk, whatever it is, you're there because you have something of interest. And the other people around share that interest. And that's a good starting point. Love that. And so when when you're meeting someone you say, I don't know how to start that conversation. Like, hey, stranger, come here often. Like, oh no, that feels weird. (laughs) Well, you're at this activity. Hey, how did you get involved in this nonprofit? Yeah. What do you think of the speaker? What did you take away from that talk? Sure. How long have you been doing this? What do you hope to get out of doing this? Hey, I'm new to this particular hobby. What should I know? I'd love to hear your advice. Yeah, so there's lots of questions we can start out with to begin that conversation as the icebreaker.
0: Yeah, be friendly and and lead with the giving hand, which was your the the mindset advice that you gave, which I really uh, completely completely agree with. Maybe you could even get invited to one of these legendary parties that you throw, Mark,
1: in New York. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. Is so I also when there's not a pandemic. I throw parties. I threw about five a year, and I've been doing this for well over a decade. I've probably thrown about 80 parties in my Manhattan apartment. And this comes from Keith Ferrazzi's book, Never Eat Alone. Now, he said do dinner parties. And what he says, look, we think of dinner parties as we got the fancy china, and it's very formal. And if you like that, do that. But it's also okay to do buffet or paper plates or keep it casual. If you're 23, no one's expecting good China. <laughs> just have people over. And then when I was think about doing it, I began it with my friend, Olivia Fox Caban. And I live in a New York apartment. I can't seat 12. It's yeah. just yeah. not possible. I thought, well, what can we do where people are standing? Maybe we'll just do desserts. I thought, oh, wine and cheese. So look, this is the easiest thing ever. Do a wine and cheese party. Buy a couple bottles of wine have glasses. In fact, you can buy cheap wine glasses. I have the solo red cups for mixed drinks, yeah. but I also have real glass wine glasses. It costs about a dollar each, and I know every party I lose about two of them. Someone drops them. People bring wine, certainly at our age. Once you're in your 30s and 40s, people know to show up with a bottle. You buy some fruits and cheese. There you go. There's your party. You get people over, and this is great because you bring people to you. I can catch up with 20 30 50 people all in one night yeah even the ones who don't come well i was just reminded to them and they were reminded to me like oh mark hey i haven't talked to mark in a couple months hey mark sorry i can't make your party how are you doing yeah and so hosting events is a great way to build and to grow meaning mature the relationships in your network,
0: I love that. Now, let's inspire people a little bit, if we could. I don't know the answer to this, um, but what are some of the coolest things that have happened because of these dinner parties that you've thrown? Because I think that is just fabulous advice that people should take. Uh, but let's inspire them. You know, let's get them. Let's get them excited about what has happened from you know these uh, various parties.
1: Well, the most inspiring things: a couple kids came out of them. Well, okay. I have had had one marriage come out of it with a few kids. I've had multiple relationships. Other than that one, I don't think others have lasted, but uh, there have been dating relationships. Certainly friendships have come out of it. Yeah. People, in fact, two of my friends were very senior people at very competing tech companies, but they got to know each other over time and were certainly friendly to each other, even knowing their companies, of course, were, were going head to head. Yeah. Bringing people together, is great yeah. and by the way authors as an author you should be doing this i remember i happened to be channel surfing this is 20 years ago and rl stein i think it was a makeover a home makeover show for rl stein the writer of goosebumps is talking about his kitchen and he said well when we did the kitchen i was told i needed to expand the kitchen because during a party everyone winds up in the kitchen anyway it's true and as an author now i need to have parties now, he's a children's fiction writer i'm sure he's not inviting little children over to the party yeah, yeah. I hope it's not. but all of us no matter what book we're doing we want to entertain and meet people and just be at the center of those connections because that's going to help our reputation and our business it's going to keep us top of mind within our network which helps promote anything that we're working on love it great great advice
0: let's change gears uh, what I always like to talk about and your situation is a little different but not completely is um, you know we, we write books to make a difference uh, authors always want to make a difference in their marketplace they want to help people but we also write books for our own purposes oftentimes it's uh, building a business or starting uh, to be a speaker or media etc Tell me, your, your book's a little different because you know, you're uh, a CTO and it's not directly connected to that. It's not like you're trying to grow a, a coaching or consulting business. But you know, what things are you doing to get your message out there with your book? How are you using your book? Obviously, you're on a podcast and probably many podcasts like this. So talk to me a little bit about what you're getting out of the authorship of your book and, and what it's leading to for you.
1: Yeah, so as you noted, I am a CTO by day. I am not trying to be an executive coach, an HR consultant, which is a natural fit for a book like mine. Now that presents a little bit of a challenge because I have two brands and the Venn diagram looks like this, two circles that do not intersect. Nice. (laughs) If I really wanted you to think about, oh, HR consulting, two tech companies, and I can leverage myself as, oh, I'm one of you, but no, no interest in that. Two completely different worlds. There's Mark Hirschberg, the tech CTO, and there's Mark Hirschberg, the career skills expert. Right. Or the latter, you're right that I'm not trying to make money off of this. And that's what most people do. Now, I do get certain things out of it. One is, I'm helping the world. And that's very important to me. I've always been passionate about helping people with their professional efficacy. I can only teach so many people at MIT. So this lets me reach a wider audience.
0: Second,
1: it does get me out there on things like podcasts. So at the time of this recording, this is about podcast number 280 for me. Whoa, amazing. And so it's, yeah, I've been pretty prolific. It's easier to do that than just, oh, hi, I'm a random guy. And no, believe me, I have something important to say. When you have a book, it just gives you that little more credibility. It shows, hey, you've, you've come up with something concrete. And so I think that's helped get me on podcasts. It also does help with speaking. Now, they talk about the book being for credibility. I happen to have some unique credibility. All of us have some credibility. Oh, I've been running a financial planning firm for 20 years. Okay, you must know something. You've been in business that long. (laughs) For me, I've been fortunate. 20 years teaching at MIT, that's pretty unique, especially for my topic. Okay, there's not many people with that credibility. The book adds an additional layer. Hmm. And talking to my friends who do... Paid speaking engagements, what they said is when you want to do speaking, to really hit to the, the big level, you need to have a book. You need to have something of like, hey, I'm not just another person with a talk. I've got right. something unique. The book does that. To get really big, once you're in that national level to start raising your prices, you typically need multiple books. Now, in my case, most likely I can kind of use the 20 years at MIT as a book. Yeah, That's, that's something of It's not just something I came up with yesterday. Right. I clearly done it. So that plus the book, even though they're on the same topic, kind of gives me I've done more than one thing. And that lets me raise my rate. So I do get that advantage. And then you never know where these things will take you. I was chatting with my neighbor who's a marketer. And when I was working on the book, she said, oh, you should build an app for your book. Mm. Oh, okay, Hey, interesting idea. What should the app do? So I don't know. Build an app. (laughs) <laughs> okay, great. You should also tell me I should sell lots of books. I'll put that on my list to do. <laughs> so great. it was it was maybe the the kernel, but it really did give me a lot to go on. But I sat there and thought about this. Now, I am a technology guy, and I've worked in media, and I've worked in education. How do I put all these together? And I came up with an app that's used to help my readers retain the content better. Mm. Now, when I came up with this, I thought, well, this, now I think about it, is as obvious. Surely someone's done it. I'll just go license it, slap my name on it. Right. It did not exist. So I created a patent and we've got a patent pending on the underlying technology. And I built the app for my book. And then a bunch of authors said, this is great. How can I do that? And so we're expanding it actually a few weeks from the date of this recording. We're recording mid-February. We're going to have the general version so other authors can put their content into the app And get the same benefits to their readers. Mm. And so it's now this likely side business that I had never even intended at the start of this, but came out of doing this. Mark, you'll do that. They'll do
0: that to you, man. They they start, money starts coming at you. You don't even know where.
1: (laughs) Yes. The book really opens doors and opportunities because it, It leads you to think in different ways. It even just leads to conversations. We probably would not be having this conversation, certainly, because you're all about books and publishing. So it opened the door to you. And who knows what we're going to do together two, three, five years from now.
0: Yeah. Well, I am super intrigued by the app. I'd love to give some links, obviously, for people to be able to get your book and learn more about you is there is there is it live for us to give a link on the app itself or is that something we want to maybe hold off on for you know another day
1: yeah we can we can give that link yeah right now the so you can see what it's like with my app so you can get a sense of it okay the general version isn't yet live it will be in early march of 2022 yep so for my website the That's my website, and you can learn more about the book and where to buy and all the usual stuff you know on author websites. Yeah, Also, one of the items up top says app. Now, if you go to app, it will show you what the app looks like and has links to the Android and iPhone store to download. Now, this is the app that is hard-coded to my book. It's branded for my book. It's only about my book. But imagine a general version. So think of like a Kindle version of this app where any content can go in. Mm. And that will be available in the coming weeks at Cognosco Media, C-O-G-N-O-S-C-O Media, M-E-D-I-A.com. And that webpage will be coming up in the coming weeks. But people can, of course, contact me through either site and say, hey, I'm interested in learning more, and I can put you on the list when it comes out, or we can jump on a call and talk about it.
0: Super intriguing. Just We got the websites, but just one last clarification question about the app itself so would the app be for my authors for me for example would it be that we pay you know a fee to license it from you and then we give it as kind of a companion to our book for a buyer of our book is that the idea or or is it an additional like with your book it is an, an additional price or how does that work
1: I give it away for free. Good. And so right now, the model we're looking at is we would charge the author or the publisher. Yeah. So there might be companies like yours that say, hey, we're just going to do this for all of ours as part right. of our package. and Then anyone who works with you gets this extra. And so I recommend right now you give it away for free because if you charge your, your clients for it before, this is a new experience. Right, right. And people aren't yet convinced, they don't yet get, is it worth paying for? Yeah. Over time, we will support the concept of paid content that you might say, hey, here's my content for the platform, but I'm going to charge you if you want to access it. Right. But that will be later in the roadmap. Right.
0: Love it. Very intriguing. Uh, I'll be paying close attention. And of course, we'll uh, we'll get the links out uh, in the show notes to uh, all of our uh, listeners as well. So Mark, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Uh, uh, really, uh, really great time speaking to
1: you. Thanks for having me on the show. Hey, thanks for
0: listening in on the Publish, Promote, Profit podcast. If you enjoyed it, please take a minute and like and subscribe to the podcast because every week I bring you either great guests or great teaching to help you to grow your income and your impact with a best-selling book. And if you're interested in having your own best-selling book, check out my short video which explains our trademark process at beginmybook.com.